Welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Tiffany Kazaroski, and today we're talking to Ann Slattery, who is director of the Regional Poison Control Center at Children's of Alabama. Ann is a pharmacist, a nurse, and she has graduate degrees in environmental health and toxicology. Welcome, Ann. Thank you. So the reason why we're talking today is because the Regional Poison Control Center in Alabama is celebrating 60 years. That is a very long time. It is fantastic. I'm so proud and excited. The very first poison center opened up in 1953, and we opened up in 1958. Wow. Here in Alabama? And we're the 14th oldest center in the nation. Wow. Out of 55 poison control centers, right? Yes. Very good. So back in 1958, who was it that opened our regional poison control center? Well, the chief pediatric resident, Dr. Don Palmer, he started the poison center. And the residents at that time at Children's actually took the calls from other physicians around the state. And then when did it turn over to be more of a public entity where people could call in from their homes or from other healthcare facilities, say, and not just from physician to physician? Well, eventually, the pharmacy at Children's of Alabama took over the poison center and the pharmacist within the pharmacy answered the phone. Mm-hmm. And then in 78, 1978, we established a toll-free statewide number so that everyone could call the poison center for free. And then eventually after that, there became a national toll-free number that operates similar to 911. When you call it, it goes to your local regional poison control center, right? Exactly. The one 800 222 is the same number for every poison center. So if you call it from Alabama, you will get us. You call it in another state, you get your local poison center. Okay, wonderful. So initially, the phone line was physician to physician. Correct. But then it became open to the public, as we said, with the 1-800 number. Tell me about the mix now. When we first started the statewide 1-800 number, uh, approximately 85 to 90% of our calls were from the public and only 10 to 15% from healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. Now, in 2018, 30% of our calls come from healthcare professionals in emergency departments. And is that significant? Uh, it, it's twofold. Uh, that the public is getting their information from other sources, maybe the internet. Um, also, that unfortunately there are more dangerous medications out there, and so EDs are having to give us a ring for recommendations. Tell me how many calls you get that are about children versus adults versus senior citizens, say. 53% of our calls involve children less than six. If you look at all pediatric, 18 and under, that's 66% of our calls. Mm -hmm. The other 34% are adults. But we have, in the last four years, seen a 14% increase in calls about the 65-plus population. Oh, wow. And why is that? Is that just because of their own medications? The majority of the calls are about therapeutic errors. They may Mm -hmm. double-dose their medication. They may take their spouse's medication. Mm -hmm. The 29% of people greater than 65 take over five medications a day. And so it can be confusing when you have all these medications and pill planners, and then you may be taking care of a spouse who also has that many medications. Sure. And that's the majority of those calls. Okay. Now, since we are at 
Children's of Alabama. Let's talk about the calls about children. It is going to be cleaning products and then cosmetics. Those are the top two Mm -hmm. because 75% of exposures occur while a product's in use. And Mm -hmm. so that is what's going to be around with children at home. Okay. Are they ingesting these products? Are they, they're smelling them? All kinds of things. Everything. They're splashing the cleaning products in their eyes. They're mm-hmm. going up their nose. They may be taking a sip. Uh, they may be, you know, tasting the lipstick or eating some eyeshadow. So we handled, you know, exposures to the skin, the eyes, any, any route. Okay. So walk me through a typical scenario like that, what it looks like from your team's point of view, and then the reporting structure that eventually makes its way to the CDC and the parent that's on the other line. When you call a poison center, we are going to ask for your name and number. All calls are free and confidential. It's Mm -hmm. no different than speaking to your physician. And we are going to document the case. And we're going to give you advice on how to handle. And one of the things we're very proud is in children less than six, those that originate in the home, we keep 90% at home and just follow them up to make sure they're doing okay. Okay. So we take that case, we document it, and in less than 10 minutes, it goes to the National Poison Data System. And physicians and pharmacists that are hired to surveil that data look at it basically instantaneously. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's going to the CDC, and they're also looking at that data. So they're looking at clusters of nausea and vomiting around a zip code, or if there is a product that a lot of people are being exposed to, is there a problem, that type of thing. Wow. So you mentioned the the real-time surveillance. This is the only agency, if you will, where there is real-time surveillance going on in the United States, right? Yes. Collectively, Poison control centers are the only real-time surveillance in the United States where healthcare professionals and at the regional poison control center, we have nurses and pharmacists mm-hmm. um, that are receiving calls from both health, other healthcare professionals and from the lay public. Mm-hmm. And this data is going into one database from all 55 poison centers simultaneously. So all of that is happening at once. Mm-hmm. And then it is being surveilled by the National Poison Data System by physicians and pharmacists that are trained to look at that data Mm -hmm. for clusters or any anomalies. And at the same time, it's going to the CDC. So they're looking for any type of exposure that may be in a certain part of the country or a certain area in Alabama? Uh, Every time we have an arsenic exposure, someone from NPDS, the National Poison Data System, will contact me to verify whether they have well water or not, uh, because that is a problem with you know, wells. So we will get calls from mm-hmm. NPDS or the CDC to verify what kind of data that we are submitting to MPDS. Well, it's good to know that there is a national organization. There are people who are monitoring this real time and looking at trends and looking at what's going on throughout the country at any given time. Something else that you and I discussed that you are very proud of is the amount of follow-up calls, the amount of follow-ups that 
our Regional Poison Control Center does every year. Yes. We received over 52,000 calls last year, which resulted in almost 40,000 charts. And on those, we did close to 60,000 follow-ups. So we follow people up at home to make sure they do okay if we are observing them at home. And then we do follow-up hospital cases into a known outcome. What is the goal for that pharmacist or nurse on the other line? Our goal is to give them accurate information about the exposure and the best medical advice and course of treatment for that individual. And then you're also wanting to, if possible, keep them at home and not not send them to an emergency department if they don't have to go. Exactly. Our claim to fame, or one of our claims to fame, is that we keep 82% of all ages at home. And as I mentioned earlier, we're able to keep 90% of those less than six at home. And and follow them and make sure that they're fine so they don't have to rush into an emergency department unnecessarily. Anything in particular that you're proud of? Well, I am very proud of our outreach program. We, our staff, on their off time, go out into the community and do health fairs and community events, and we do public education, and we're very proud of that. Right now, our educator is actually working on a sight-impaired program. Mm. So, and once we have that established, it'll be the first. Also, we have an app, uh, Poison Perils, where you can look at poisonous snakes and poisonous insects and poisonous and non-poisonous plants Mm -hmm. and a few uh, household items. There is no treatment recommendations on there. It is just for identification and just to keep people aware. Okay. And you've got a couple thousand people who have that app now, which is is pretty good. Yes. What are some of the things that when your outreach coordinators are going out into the public, when they go to the schools, when they're talking to caregivers, what are some of those tips that they are giving them? Well, we really stress um, out of reach, out of sight. That's very important because children, if they see the product, then they could be tempted. We also uh, tell people when in doubt, check it out. We're a free call. If you're concerned, just call us and we can help alleviate your fears, that type of thing. Um, not to take medication in front of children. Mm-hmm. Don't call medication candy, that mm-hmm. type of thing. Sure. And then if you do, let's say um, you go into someone else's home where they don't have child-resistant closures because there's no such thing as child-proof. Those closures are only going to keep them at bay maybe 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. They, they eventually, if you leave them long enough, they'll be able to open these closures, which many parents probably are already aware. Yeah. That if you do have products uh, that don't have child-resistant closures, that you use lock boxes, And we do recommend that when they go to visit grandparents and things like that. Because 46% of all prescription medications that are ingested by children are grandparents' medications. Oh, wow. And I remember you saying in one of our meetings, the medicine cabinet is the new drug dealer. That's scary. For adolescents right now, that is where they're getting their medications, either from their parents' medicine cabinet, their friends, their neighbors, their grandparents, but that is where they're getting their drugs. One of the videos that you guys recorded recently was just showing um, to get off of the off of the prescriptions and then on to maybe some of the toxic chemicals that are in cleaning products that are in our in our households. 
is that some of these cleaning products may look like, you know, they're very colorful in the packaging. They may look like something that's very familiar to a child. There are a lot of lookalikes out there. And some of your blue beverages look just like glass cleaner. And so that is very confusing for the young child. Yeah, you can see some of the some of the reasons why these kids might pick up a household cleaner because it's bright and colorful. Yeah, and and pills and tablets, they look like candy. Mm-hmm. It is it's very confusing for them. Absolutely. Any other advice that you guys give to parents on a regular basis or adults that you share on a regular basis just trying to keep them safe? Well, we do recommend that they keep our number and have it available. And if you have the app, you can actually push a button and call from our app, or you can call and get a sticker or a magnet from us so that you have the number at all times. Mm -hmm. Give us a ring and let us help you decide if we have a problem. So the website, if people want to check out the Regional Poison Control Center, is www.childrensal.org slash RPCC. And Anne, the phone number one more time? It's 1-800-222-1222. And happy anniversary. Happy 60th anniversary to the Regional Poison Control Center. Thank you, Tiffany. When in doubt? Check it out. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics. More podcasts like this one can be found at childrensal.org forward slash inside pediatrics.